Welcome back to WiseCast, the podcast for women in STEM and education. I am Dr. Richa Chandra. And I'm Dr. Amber Miller. Our episode today, Gravity Can't Hold Us Down, features Janelle Wellens, an instrument operations engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. She worked on the Cassini mission to Saturn, and she is also working now on the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and an Earth Observing Project. She graduated from MIT with a degree in aerospace engineering. So we have our first rocket scientist. Her story is super inspirational. Can't wait to get into it. But Amber, how are you dressed for success today? So today I would describe my outfit and my dress for success as a little more sunny. Um, We are starting to try and get our routine back and get back into the swing of the semester. So I needed a little extra cheer and my outfit is doing that for me today. But the real star of my outfit is my shoes. Um, I am wearing some bright tie-dyed Vans. So they add a little extra funk, a cheer. Anytime I see them, it gives me a little bit of extra joy to help keep me through, right? Trying to get back into the swing of the semester. <laughs> yeah, I love the extra joy. I'm, I'm wearing a heavy statement necklace. This is something I'd usually only wear for a night out, but it's sparkly. It has these ridiculously large beads. I love I it. There might be nine of them, like our nine planets, but, <laughs> um, and it's just reminding me that it's heavy, but I'm not weighed down and gravity can't hold us women down. Um, and by women, I mean, those of us who are in STEM and education careers and all the future Janelles out there. We are super excited to have you here with us as our first aerospace engineer, aka rocket scientist. Uh, we are inspired by how much you've accomplished at such a young age and want to hear your story about how you became an aerospace engineer. That is a loaded question because my path to, to working at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory was not straight at all. I would have never imagined young me somehow ending up living in Pasadena, California, having the opportunity to work on things in space. So I guess if you really want to start where I think it matters most, it was probably when I was just younger, uh, middle school age. My mom would bring me to her job for Bring Your Daughter to Work Day, which became Bring Your Child to Work Day. And uh, she herself was not an engineer or in any STEM majors. However, she worked with a lot of engineers. And that was my first taste into this world of, wow, these are all the people who make things. I remember, you know, when I was young, my dad Okay, he claims that he wasn't hoping for a boy, but I was the first born. And so he says that he just wanted to treat me like he wanted me to have the same interests and likes that he did. So I was out uh, fishing, playing video games, action figures, Legos. We even launched rockets in the park. (laughs) And um, because of that, it sparked this curiosity in me about how things worked. And so then taking that next step of meeting people who actually were engineers and creating new and novel things and could explain how things worked, it definitely made me realize, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn. My parents are not in STEM at all. And so there was never this, uh, I need to be like them type of feeling. It was more like, oh my goodness, there is never going to be an end to chasing knowledge. And so 
when I got to high school, I started to realize that some of my classmates were a little bit better about planning their futures than I was. When you would ask them what they wanted to do, not only could they give you an answer, but they knew which college they wanted to go to, what they were going to major in, maybe what company they wanted to work at. And I started to realize that, oh my goodness, I have zero direction. (laughs) And even with that realization, it honestly didn't change anything. Because come junior year, I started to get all of this mail. A lot of us did from colleges all over the nation. And I, to be quite honest, I maybe could have named five colleges off the top of my head at that point in my life. And I had zero idea, you know, what to do with this information. It was so much all at once. And so you know, I started to get this mail and I started to actually put it underneath my bed to store it. And when I ran out of room there, I started to just throw it in the trash can. I just didn't know what to do with it. And on one of those occasions, I got in the mail, I took a look at it and I was going to go and throw it in the trash. And my mom, that day was very fateful. (laughs) My mom saw that I was moving this pile to the trash and she noticed a pamphlet on top from a school called the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I had never heard of it in my entire (laughs) life, but she saw the name and she recognized it and said, hey, this is a good school, Janelle. Let's look at this. And we look at the pamphlet and it's advertising this summer program for juniors going into their senior year. And you had to write all these essays. You had to get teacher recommendations, submit your pre-SAT scores. And I remember just thinking, I really don't have time for this. (laughs) But the program was free as long as you got into it. And that's all my mom needed to see to (laughs) make sure that I filled that application out. And she would remind me every day, did you do the application? Did you write this essay? Did you? And in Janelle fashion, I, of course, finished it the night before it was due because I was definitely a procrastinator and perhaps still am at this point in my life. (laughs) So I uh, filled it out, turned it in, totally forgot about it. And, you know, I was in class one day and one of my classmates asked us, you know, what are you going to do this summer? And I said, oh, I'm going to run cross country because that's what I had done every summer that I had been a part of high school. I was always running, doing track, et cetera. And then I kind of remembered I applied to that program and I said, oh, but if I get into this other thing, then I guess I'll be going there for the summer. And I remember him looking at me and being like, MIT, do you know what that school is? Do you understand how difficult it is to get into their programs? I said, uh... Nope, (laughs) not really. (laughs) And so that night, for the first time, I actually looked up more about the program and more about the school. And I remember they had some sort of page on the statistics of who was who got in the previous year. And I remember seeing something like we had over 2000 applicants and we admitted one person from New Jersey where I was from. And I remember seeing that and saying, there is absolutely no way I am getting into that program. I remember telling my mom, like, mom, I told you it was a waste of time. I mean, MIT was the type of school that accepted people who got perfect scores, who were the straight A, you know, had no fault. 
And that just wasn't me. As much as I loved learning, I also had a lot of other passions in my life. And so I didn't always get A's and I didn't have perfect SAT scores. And so I just felt like, that. why choose me when you could potentially choose a student like that? And so when I was at track practice one day in spring and my mom called me trying to rush me home because she got this package in the mail from MIT, I was like, mom, but we went over this. You know, I'm not getting into this school. It's impossible. I'm not getting in. And she was like, get home now. I don't care. Open it. So I got home and she's waiting for me in the door, holding this package in her hand. She's like, oh, come on, come on. And I'm like, mom, I'm not getting in. And she was like, Janelle, they don't send you a package to tell you you didn't get in. And for the first time, I felt hope. (laughs) It's like, wait, maybe you're right. So I opened the package and I, you know, slide the letter out. And the first word I see is congratulations. Mm -hmm. And we had this huge little dancing celebration and right in front of my home. We were like, who do we call? Do we have to tell someone about this? You know, it was just absolutely life-changing. And I think the fact that I didn't know how prestigious and how difficult and how impossible it was to get into a school like MIT before I applied, it allowed me to apply as myself and to feel confident in just who I was and to write as me, not write as somebody who was trying to get into this school. And so I went to the program. I fell in love. For the first time, I was completely surrounded by people who were willing to stay up until 2 a.m. answering homework problems that weren't even graded. You know, this didn't count for anything real in our school system. And I felt for, I realized that this is college. This, I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to this experience. And so when I, when I got back, I went from not knowing where to apply to college, you know, really just listening to my guidance counselor who was saying, hey, what about community college? They have a good program for students who do relatively well. And they also have um, the school that most of the students in my uh my school went to and he never suggested for me to reach higher. And so after that experience, I knew I want to go to MIT. And so I applied to MIT. I freaked out every single day after the application. You know, I realized, oh my gosh, I made a typo in one of my prompt answers. I'm not getting in. And regularly, my mom or my dad had to say, Janelle, relax, you know, relax. And on the day that the application results were revealed, I was actually out bowling with some friends to kind of keep my mind off of it. And someone reminded me, hey, Janelle, isn't it time? And I'm like, it is time. And I go into the bathroom of the bowling alley. I lock myself in the stall and I'm on my phone. The, the internet's really slow. I'm just waiting for it to load, load. And I see that same answer again. Congratulations. And it just totally changed everything. It changed everything. All because of a pamphlet that was destined for the trash being caught by my mom. (laughs) And so I went to MIT and, you know, I 
wasn't exactly sure what to do next because as you all know, it's not a planner. I was just happy to be there. And so I was playing with a couple of ideas in my head thinking I really liked math in school. Um, and that's the only thing I kind of had formal, uh, I was formally educated in that subject. I didn't have any engineering classes. So I figured maybe I'll give math a try. And after talking to some upperclassmen, they kind of encouraged me to consider just trying an introductory class for one of the engineering majors because MIT is a school known for engineering. So why not just explore? And so I'm looking at the list. You know, you could be a mechanical engineer, civil, chemical, biological, computer. And then I saw this one called aerospace engineering. And that word space, that kind of, that, that made me feel a little excited. Like, wow, you can, you can be an engineer that does stuff with space. I mean, growing up, I love shows like Jimmy Neutron and just the feeling of being able to build your own rocket and explore what is out in our universe. And so for that reason, I decided that's the intro class I'm going to take. And on the first day, I'm sitting in class with everyone else and our professor, he's going over the syllabus and he's saying, oh, we're going to learn the rocket equation. We're going to learn how planes fly. We're going to do some projects. And we're also going to learn a little bit about the history of space flight, too. And he shows a photo of an astronaut fixing the Hubble telescope. And he says, that was actually me back in the day. I'm like, wait, you, you, I'm looking around. Like, He's an astronaut? I mean, the person next to me was like, <laughs> the person next to me was actually playing with like a deck of playing cards. <laughs> I think it was in the magic or something. It's like nobody was reacting to this incredibly amazing news. I went from knowing absolutely no one, no one with any connection to NASA to suddenly being in the same room as an astronaut who had been to space. And I felt like those are one of those moments where you, you really have to choose if you are going to pick up the sword to start your adventure or just walk by it instead. And I decided that this is what I wanted to do. How often are you presented with such an amazing opportunity? And so that's how I got into aerospace engineering. Didn't really know what I was doing, had no background on the subject, but I was happy to learn and figure out what it meant to become an engineer. And then the last part of it, of how did I get to be at NASA JPL? Well, to be quite honest, I had never heard of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory before. Not, not at all. I'm from the East Coast. And so if you're going to talk about NASA, maybe the one in Maryland, Goddard, or perhaps Florida. I knew that they were the ones who launched rockets, but JPL, what is this place? But the name kept coming up in my classes. Oh, hey class, we're gonna talk about how to communicate with a satellite that's at Saturn, like JPL has done. Or let's, let's pretend that we're trying to land a rover on Mars, like JPL this JPL, JPL, I kept hearing it. This, this must be an incredibly amazing place. I think I want to work at JPL. So when the career fair came around and all these companies came, 
I, and as well as all my other classmates in aerospace engineering, were in line for this JPL. And I remember, you know, not sure exactly what to do. It's my first rodeo. And uh, overhearing my classmates talking to recruiters and feeling like, I really don't have any accomplishments to speak of besides going to MIT. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, I did not get the internship. But I used it as an opportunity to figure out how could I improve? How can I be a candidate that JPL looks like and says, we need to have her? And so I continued to grow my passion and my understanding and my confidence, which plays a big part in engineering. And I continued to apply, continued to get rejected until it was my senior year. And um I didn't have the option to be an intern. My only option at this point was to go for the full-time job. And it was a long shot, and I understood that. But I also felt like a different person than I was when I had first started. I had such a sense of confidence that I didn't have before. And I had this feeling that I could do it. And I think that's what probably shown the most during my time talking to the recruiter. Because for the first time, not only did I get a call back, but it was the interview of not one, but three supervisors. So I went to the interview, of course, nervous, sweating the entire time. You know, I accidentally ripped my skirt trying to get there. So I'm worried about that. I don't want them to see it. And I got through it. I had no clue what they were going to think if I impressed anyone. And eventually I did get the call to say that they wanted to fly me to California, which I had only been to one other time in my life for a family reunion to interview with the team that I could potentially be working with. It was a nine hour day, a very uh, nervous me walking around, not understanding what's going on, just trying to take it in, making my best impression. And after it was all over, I got a call just before Thanksgiving from somebody in HR asking me if anyone had talked to me about salary yet. And that's when I realized I got the job. <laughs> and also he realized no one told me I got the job. <laughs> but I, I had to put myself on mute for that moment, do my little happy dance just like before. And that's how I finally landed to work at JPL. I had so many goosebumps every time you said congratulations, like literally the hair on my arm was like standing up. I'm like, oh my God, the story. I just think it's so inspiring that you're one of the youngest people working on the projects at JPL. Your work with the Cassini mission, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, and the Earth Aerosol Pollution Project. All of that work sounds so exciting and impactful. So please share with us all your work and experiences with these missions and projects. In case anyone didn't know, uh, Cassini is a mission that launched in 1997 to eventually make it to Saturn to allow us to learn more about the planet and its moons and its rings. And it ended in 2017 because essentially we were out of fuel. And so instead of letting your space junk just, you know, float around uncontrolled, we, it's better to do something with it to make sure that it does not end up uh, contaminating any of the pristine bodies or, or things you may have found that one day you may want to go and visit again. So 
When I started at JPL, it was basically a year before the end of Cassini. And so I always like to just point out that, you know, I wasn't hired to Cassini because they needed me. I was hired to Cassini to learn. And I think that having the opportunity to be a part of a team that had done so many amazing things left a serious legacy in the world of space, not just for Americans or people interested in space, but for the world. Um, Coming onto that project and learning what it meant to be an instrument operations engineer, which is my, I guess you can say my official title, uh, was was incredible. And I could tell you that on my first day, after learning that that's what I was going to do, and uh, just basically the sentences that were included in the contract you have to sign to say, yes, I want to work at JPO. I had no idea what it meant. And so when I actually showed up to JPL, I was extremely scared. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> I've signed up for this, but I don't even know if I can do it. I'm not sure if I'm capable. But, you know, like any good team and any good project and any good collaboration effort, the second I was there, I was taken under the wing to learn from people who had done this for years. And so, I essentially learned that my job was to send commands, which are bits of instructions that the scientific instruments that collect all of the data that we want to know when we go to visit these amazing places in our solar system and beyond, and to also monitor the housekeeping telemetry. I like to call it, you know, just the you know, it, it's it's basically like for a person, you get to monitor your health, your stats, you know, is your heart beating normally? Are you feeling sick? That's basically how we treat our instruments. You have to monitor them to make sure they stay healthy and safe and won't mess up or break or any of those things. And so that was my job. And the results of doing my job were images being captured by the cameras on Cassini. And so I'm working currently on two projects, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and also the Multi-Angle Imager for Aerosols. I do not expect anyone to remember those names. You can just think of it as the Moon Project and the Earth Project. So my project that's at the Moon, it's basically my job to operate one of the instruments that's making a surface temperature map of the lunar surface. And it's really important work because it also is allowing us to prepare for sending humans, astronauts, back to the moon one day, potentially. And uh, on my other project, the Earth-observing one, um, it's a mouthful, but the name actually means something. Multi-angle, meaning that we're looking at different angles at a spot on Earth Imager, because we are also producing images that contain lots of data as part of this operation for aerosols. And aerosols, you can just think of as pollution. They're pollutants. And so this project is near and dear to my heart because essentially what we are doing is measuring different types of pollutant in targeted cities around the world in order to better understand how particulate matter or pollution harms people. So we're doing an actual health study with epidemiologists to be able to draw conclusions about what types of pollutants are really hurting people. And I'm really hopeful for 
uh, when this project takes off and launches and getting the opportunity to operate it because I think that it's doing something that is beneficial for the world. It all sounds so beneficial to the world. It can be inspiring to know, like, just because sometimes, like, this is your inherent tendency doesn't mean you still can't excel, right? Like, you're clearly excelling at this job that is very detail-oriented. So um, so I think that's also fun for us to just hear the, the contrast, right, between what maybe you're excited about or your everyday life is like outside of outside of JPL. For the next question, what is the most important thing you have learned in your life? It's a little yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it is. And, you know, when I think most important thing, I really go back to something that my dad has actually told me my entire life. I remember being in school, doing fairly well, you know, getting accepted into that program at MIT. My dad would always remind me that what makes this special and and what makes you successful is not adding accomplishments to your list of things in your life. It's about who you are as a person. And, And to never forget how you treat others makes all of the difference in the world versus not necessarily your technical contributions. And you know, he also would always say that when you are gone, people are going to remember you from how you treated them, not necessarily everything else, how rich you were, you know, how smart you were. Those are just, those are just pluses if you can do that too, but they're not the driving factor. And so I continue to live my life in a way that I would hope would make my parents proud, my family proud, and and also that respects others and remembers to, to listen sometimes more than you speak. Yeah, that's incredible. And you just have such a mature mindset. So kind of along those lines, what was your greatest obstacle in life and how did you overcome it? My greatest obstacle in life, um, my, my hardest obstacle was probably just getting through uh, high school, uh, middle school. I think sometimes people forget how how incredibly challenging it is to be a kid. I feel like, especially being a black woman in these types of spaces, you're met with some seriously challenging things that could, at any moment, completely derail your path. I. Remember classmates who said that the only reason why I got into MIT was because I was Black. No one was laughing. No one was joking about that sentiment. They believed it, and they felt that I had robbed them of something. And that's what they said at the end. However, the entire time we grew up together and took these classes together, they would constantly joke about my race. Oh, I'm blacker than you. Oh, you're an Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside. Oh, but Janelle, you're not like those other blacks. You know what I mean. And I was at that point in my life, a doormat. I would let people walk all over me. I would take it because what are you going to do? You're with the same people for four years or maybe more if you were in elementary, middle school with them. And so I feel like that entire time of my life was 
difficult because I had no idea how to deal with these issues. I didn't know how to talk about them. And it was only later in life that me and my friends kind of thought about how brutal that environment actually was and how isolating it could make someone feel. And uh, I'm really glad that I made it through, but I didn't go through unscathed. I suffered from depression my senior year. And when I should have been extremely happy about getting into MIT, which I was in that moment, I had moments where I felt incredibly bad about it too. I felt that there were so many students at my school who didn't even have the chance. Maybe they weren't sent the pamphlet. Maybe they didn't have a home. And, you know, I I thought about them and I thought about how they were picked on, made fun of, and how incredibly hard it must have been for them to just show up to school each day, let alone get good grades and apply to these prestigious pro- uh, programs and all that stuff. And it, I really, you know, had a hard time reconciling being the one to go to MIT when I could see all of this going on too. And so, you know, looking forward and where I am now and looking back on that experience, I feel that what I have done to try and remind myself that it's okay to have these things is that I've dedicated um, a great deal of my time and effort into making sure that the path for others is easier in the future. I want to see more kids like me, more students like me, more people who look like me in this world of space that's so untouchable, unreachable, impossible. And I feel like the more I do this types of outreach, the more I remind kids that this this time in your life is one time in your life. There is someone who believes you. You can do it. This does not define everything. You know, the more I feel that at least I can contribute to a positive future and something that I believe in. We appreciate that so much that you're sharing that vulnerable time in your life with our listeners, with us, and, you know, just shedding like aware light and awareness for for people to recognize that you know we've had these conversations about imposter syndrome and whether you know is it nurture is it nature and this this shows me how much of it is socially constructed you know you were being pushed into this feeling of imposter syndrome even though you were confident and you were excited and you know but you know that your classmates could be so harsh to push you down in that way. And, and it, you know, it's, it's not easy for anyone, any human being to like, listen to that and take it, you know? So yeah, I, I, I applaud you for, for doing that and sharing that because it, it will help people. And it, it is, I don't know. I think it's awesome that you are, um, I mean, you said the words, right. Strong enough to share your vulnerabilities. And I also am a big fan of your continual efforts to give back, right. And to try and make sure that everybody has opportunities to do the things that they love and are passionate about. Well, to shift gears a little bit, we're curious about what other projects you're currently working on and what comes next for you. 
I've gotten involved in my community here in Pasadena. You know, I, I mentioned before, I'm from New Jersey. I moved out here with no family, with a limited amount of friends, and really just took a leap. And so in order to feel like I was contributing to the people who surrounded me each day, I decided to get involved with the YWCA in Pasadena. And I am currently the vice president of their board and also the STEAM advisor for both the Pasadena and Glendale YWCAs. And in those roles, I'm actually able to help uh, get creative and think about ways to engage girls in STEM topics, especially girls from disadvantaged backgrounds the people who really need this, who need to see that people care, that they believe in them, and that they too can become a rocket scientist one day. And I love the organization and everything it stands for because I'm able to do meaningful work with people who surround me in my home where I live. Um, I also love to you know, go out to schools, to conferences, uh, just to speak directly with small classrooms. And you know, at the end of the day, it's the thing that they're going to remember down the line is not the technical details about how this works or how that works. And this is how engineers, you know, that's not what they remember. What they remember is the fact that there was a rocket scientist, quote unquote, <laughs> standing in front of them that they could hug, that told them that they were awesome, that they were going to be uh, working with her one day. That's what they remember. So I think I'll always do in-person types of stuff like that when I can. I definitely feel like, you know, the person I am, there's nothing special about Janelle. I'm not a born genius. I am not always right. I am not someone who doesn't make mistakes. I am definitely a person who's just like you. And so in sharing that, I hope it helps you understand that you don't have to be extraordinary to accomplish these great things. You just need to be you. Almost nobody has this, this straight path where they, they were eight years old. You know, they knew they wanted to go to MIT. They knew they wanted to be an aerospace engineer. They knew that they were going to be an instrument operator on Cassini. It almost never works that way. But what I will say for especially students who feel looking at their current grades right now, they're saying, well, you know, I get C's and D's or I failed some of my classes. This message is not for me because there's no chance for me to get into a school like MIT realistically. What I would say is that, one, schools like that are not the end all be all. And your life is not determined by your current circumstances. This is just the present, but think about your future. You can switch paths and pivot at any point in your life. There is never a point where you can say, well, I'm done for. There's nothing left for me to do. I've, I've screwed it all up because I didn't do well in high school or I didn't do well in college and now there's no way for me to get in. 
So for any of you who may be in that situation, who feel like it's all over, you know, I've sealed my fate. I'm here to tell you that that's not true. You have so much agency to be able to improve yourself in the now to prepare yourself for the future that you want. So never give up is what I'm trying to say. When you get the rejection, when you get denied, just like I did by JPL twice, you know, it doesn't mean that it's the end for you. It means that it's an opportunity for you to become even better. There were so many great moments in our conversations with Janelle that it is hard to pick just a few to talk about in our wrap up. One of the big things I wanted to circle back around to is the value of being yourself. She brought it up multiple times throughout the conversation. One in her honest application to the MIT summer program um, because she didn't really know how prestigious it was, right? She could really be herself in the application. Again, when she was applying for an interview for, for JPL in her final round that actually landed her her job for following her passion and inspiring others to do the same. So we, we kind of hear this all the time. Be you. Everyone else is taken. Yeah, she had such an authentic awe for space when she met the astronaut and she talked about, oh, you know, JPL kept coming up for her and like working on those instruments. And, you know, when she said the Mars rover, I, you know, I couldn't help but think about Matt Damon <laughs> in The Martian. And I was like, oh, a lot of girls have probably seen The Martian, but now they can have a real life, true female hero who's also, you know, working on these instruments. So, you know, we'll have um, the future Janelles of tomorrow inspired by her. On the next episode of WiseCast, Give a Crap About Melting Ice Caps with Dr. Sheta Chakraborty, renowned behavioral scientist and science policy advisor who has been featured on CNN and Fox News. Also, guess what? We're now on CastBox. You can find us by searching WiseCast or The Wisest Women. Thanks for listening to us and make sure to follow us on social media. This is the end of our episode and I am Dr. Amber Miller. And I am Dr. Richa Chandra.